Rick Lobb from the Homefield Group. Today I'm with Jeff Bauer and Tyler Frook. And uh, Tyler is a, a local lawyer in town. We are welcoming him to the podcast to uh, to talk to us about his position in a closing uh, of a real estate transaction. And uh, and so we'll get started. When you are closing uh, a transaction, what do you look for when you're uh, when you're doing your title search or when you're doing your uh, your closing? What type of things are you looking for uh, during that? Sure. So, I mean, basically the starting point is we'll check the government registry system or registry office to sort of see what's actually been registered on title to the property. So the types of things that we're looking for would be the current deed or transfer of the property to see who the current owner is, how they hold title, those sorts of things. Uh, are there any current mortgages registered on title, liens, um, agreements with neighbors or the municipality, um, those sorts of basic things. Then we'll sort of determine out of those things what should be on there and what shouldn't be on there. And so um, obviously, uh, unless the buyer is looking to take over somebody else's mortgage, usually you want to see those things removed. Same with liens, those kinds of things. Um, some things like agreements, if you're, say, dealing with a well or uh, a subdivision where there's a, some restrictions on title, those sorts of things you'd want to know about, but they would stay on title to the property. So, so when you say on title, uh, Tyler, like, what does that mean? Like, what in a general sense, what does it mean for something to be on the title? Because a lot of people out there aren't going to understand what it means for that to be on the title. What, Right. Very general sense. Right. So basically, um, one of the documents that we pull from the government system is called a parcel register. It tells us what the legal description of the property is. So, for example, you might be uh, this lot number, lot number 12, say, on concession one. Um, that gives us the legal description, but it doesn't tell us what actually impacts that property. And that's really what the title is, is it's saying, here's where we are, but here's all the stuff that impacts that particular property that you're buying. So like a first mortgage, like, a, well, do you ever run into, you mentioned liens. How often do you run into properties that actually have liens on them? It's pretty rare for the most part. Most properties that we see are, you know, you see a mortgage, you see uh, the current deed, obviously, um, you know, maybe a subdivision agreement or a development agreement. It's pretty rare that we would find a lot of liens or those sorts of things that would be on title that would impact a property. So liens might be a somebody's gone into tax arrears. So you might see a tax lien on there. Um, if they haven't paid bills um, to, say, contractors or construction workers, you'd see a construction lien, various types of liens, but it's pretty rare that you'd actually see them on title. Now, if something like that did uh, did get registered on the title, what would the implications be? Like if that if that was on there, there was a tax arrears for $20,000, what's the implications of something like that? Sure. So if I'm acting for a buyer, my goal is to try to get that stuff off of title so that the buyer doesn't have to take it over. If it stays on and it's not removed as of the closing date, um, those things would stay on there and they basically become the buyer's problem at that point. Right. So if there's money, say, owing on a mortgage or a lien and we don't remove that 
as of the closing date, the buyer would be taking over that debt. So 99.9% of the time, a buyer is going to say, I don't want to take over that debt. Right. Um, so get rid of it. And we would deal with the seller's lawyer to try to make that happen. So the buyer doesn't have to actually do anything. Right. We would talk to the buyers yeah. about anything that's problematic. So for example, um, if we were to find an agreement on there related to a well, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we would want to obviously discuss that with the buyer, make sure number one, that they're aware that there is this well, you know, are they aware of the terms of the agreement? You know, what is the, the monthly or yearly payments? Um, how long is this well agreement good for? We would discuss all of that with them and make sure they're on board with it. And then if you are getting a mortgage or using a lender to finance the property, it's also important to keep in mind that even if you as the buyer are okay with um, these particular agreements, we would need the lender to also be okay with them because the lender also uh, has an interest in what the yeah. title says. And there is an obligation from a seller to to offer clear title to the property they're selling. Is that is that right? That's right. So. Um, there's some fancy terminology, but the bottom line really is um, as a buyer, you're entitled to free, uh, you know, have a free title, right. clear title, um, other than the encumbrances or obligations that you agree to take over. And so when you guys are drafting up your agreements, as you know, there's a paragraph in there that specifically has this language built in that allows your lawyer, or the buyer's lawyer, to uh, do the searches that are necessary. And if we find a problem uh, that can't be fixed, the buyer then has the option of saying, you know, I'm not interested in, in moving forward and moving on to the next property. Okay, so that, on that note, I'll work a little bit off book here, but the uh, um, when we're talking about, about uh, easements and utility easements and other things that are registered to the property, that would be typical, like, um, uh, like municipal easements or, or hydro or union gas easements. But the, um, if there is, let's say, a major easement that is unknown at the time of listing or, uh, or unknown through the purchase process that you discover on your title search, is that grounds then for a buyer to say, uh, I didn't know about that major easement in the backyard and maybe I was going to build a pool now I found out I can't. Now I want out of this transaction. Yeah, I would I would take the position that that would be grounds to walk away from the deal unless it's one of those things like you were talking about, like it provides services to the property. So right in the standard agreement of purchase and sale, there's language in there that talks about things like sewer easements, yeah. drainage easements, those kinds of things, which as a buyer, you'd be obligated to take those on whether you like it or not. Um, if you're talking about, you know, a neighbor being able to say walk across or drive across your property, um, and that's registered on title, um, the buyer does not have to take that on unless there's language clearly in the agreement that says that, that they do. Okay. So since we're on the topic of easements, the, the highly exciting topic of easements, yeah. <laughs> what's the difference between an easement and a right of way? So like easement, I always think electricity, utility, that sort of thing. Right of way, I always think like a dude has the right to go there. Right. Is that Yeah, right? so I would I would really, f for simplicity What's terms. A dude <laughs> it's a dude clause. Yeah, there's a dude clause yeah. and then there's a legit clause. Right, I would, I would say, you know, a right of way is really a form of easement. So an easement basically means anything where somebody else has the right 
to use your property for some purpose. A right of way really is more specific to access. So we're talking usually about ingress or egress or the right to go to or from a property. Um, so you see a lot of right of ways in sort of cottagey areas where, you know, a neighbor might have their driveway crossing a portion of someone else's property. So they have a right to use that other person's property. And an easement would be something more like, you know, the hydro lines run through your property. So the hydro company has the ability to come on and, and maintain those lines or replace them. Okay. Uh, with regard to, let's say, uh, property boundaries. So if there, uh, if there is, let's say, a known property line dispute amongst two neighbors, is that something that would be registered onto a title ever? It's possible if they've entered into an agreement to sort of address how the property lines to be dealt with going forward. So you'd often see, um, you know, something called like an encroachment agreement or an easement agreement or whatever um, that might be registered on title to talk about that kind of stuff. More often than not, if there's a property line dispute, it's a dispute because they haven't reached an agreement on it and and fixed it or dealt with it on title. And and so the big question comes up is, you know, it does a buyer want to get a survey done when they go to buy a property? And most of the time, most buyers don't get a survey uh, when they go to buy a property because of a product called title insurance, which we can talk about in a second. But really, at the end of the day, the survey is going to tell us, you know, where are the boundaries? Where are the buildings located? And are there any issues? Um, if you don't have a survey or if you decide you, you buy a property, and you find out later that there is some sort of problem. I think the starting point is you get a survey done to really find out um, what's the issue with this boundary. And then at that point, you know, depending on what that shows, the goal anytime anyone comes to see me is let's see if we can find some middle ground with the neighbor to try to solve this without getting into full-blown court proceedings. Right. And there's ways to do that um, without involving anyone other than the two property owners um, on a sort of a short-term basis. So we have to keep in mind things called the Planning Act, but basically 21 years less a day, we can enter into an agreement to deal with it for that period of time and then renew that agreement later on. So that would be, let's say the neighbor's garage is a foot on my property. Was that something you would... Right. Like that's something you would note and make an agreement? Right. Yes, we recognize that this is on my property. I'm okay with it. If it blows down... It can't be back on my property. Exactly. Something that would like be that. the type of thing yeah. you'd enter into an agreement. You know, you, know, you talk about some things like uh, who's responsible for insurance. And if somebody gets hurt, who's responsible in those situations, you enter into that agreement and you can either register it on title or you may just keep a copy at home in case it becomes an issue later. If you want to deal with it, sort of cross the T's, dot the I's and never have to think about this thing again, you know, you can go down the road of getting the municipality or the county involved and doing things like severances and actually formally severing off part of your property to your neighbor or whatever. But those are more complicated, expensive, time-consuming things that sometimes people don't want to go down that road. Right. So with regard, you mentioned title insurance and, um, and uh, you know, from our experience in the in the industry, we recognize that or at least I did because I'm so much older than him, unfortunately. But uh, 
when I started in real estate, it was very, very common for a survey to be, uh, well, either either brought to the table or uh, or drawn before a deal closes, either from the seller or from the buyer. Uh, and it was um, part of the mortgage package. In other words, the, the lender would want to see the boundaries of the property and the and the building within those boundaries on the property before they would agree to finance the property. So um, then years went by and, and this product called title insurance started to seem to take away the need for the survey. And uh, if you could just sort of touch on um, sure. where that came from. So really title insurance um, is often required, required by lenders. So um, in most situations, if you're getting a mortgage or any kind of financing through a lender, they're going to require that you have a title insurance policy. And so you don't usually have an option whether you're getting it or not getting it. Um, unless it's a large like farm purchase, commercial purchase, those kinds of things where there's some different considerations. But in most residential real estate transactions, when you're buying, if you're getting a mortgage, you're going to need title insurance. And what it covers you for would be any title defects that you're not aware of as of the closing date um, that would have been revealed by certain searches. So the big one is a survey. Instead of paying, you know, say $1,500, $2,000 potentially for a survey, you get your title insurance policy. And if down the road um, something comes up on title that would have been revealed had you got a survey, um, your title insurance company will provide you with coverage for that issue. So they, the title insurance company will either fix the issue down the road or potentially insure over that issue for the next buyer that comes along if you're trying to sell the property and this comes to light. So for an example that I give would be, let's say, you know, you've got a survey uh, completed down the road and it turns out that your shed is on your neighbor's property or part part of the way onto your neighbor's property. And your neighbor or the municipality comes along and says, hey, get your shed off of my property. And, and you incur a bunch of costs to do so, whether it's the moving costs or just simply tearing it down. Your title insurance company will cover those costs for you. So you're not the one that's out of pocket. Had you got a survey done when you bought, you would have known that that shed was in the wrong spot. And so then you would have had the choice at that time to either move forward or deal with it at that time. And so the title insurance is covering those kinds of things. Also, for example, instead of ordering a, a work order or building permit search from the municipality to find out, you know, are there any outstanding permits on record with the municipality, your title insurance would cover you for those kinds of issues. So uh, years down the road, you go to apply for a, a new building permit and it turns out that there's an old one that's still on title um, and it needs to be paid out or closed, any costs you incur would be covered by your title insurance. So the one you know, little uh, caveat that I'll say with title insurance is that it's insurance. It's not gonna guarantee you have good title and guarantee that things can be fixed, but it will cover the cost to fix it. So it's like if you're in a car accident, you know, your car insurance will, will guarantee that they'll cover the cost to get a new car, but they're not necessarily going to cover the cost to to fix the one that's broken. Right. Right. So, so this all sounds well and good, but how much, like how much does title insurance cost? It's a, it's a one time. 
Right. What what's the what's the fee? Is it variable or is it uh, kind of across the board same thing? It varies depending on the price of the property and the company that you're using. Um, ballparking for a typical residential property in this area, you're looking at somewhere between three hundred and fifty to four hundred and fifty dollars. And it's a one-time fee that we would pay on your behalf directly to the insurance company. And it would last you and whoever else is on title for the entire time you own the property without having to pay ongoing insurance premiums or anything like that. So we would, like as the buyer, um, they're going to give you their lawyer. They're going to give the title insurance amount. Uh, Sandra, our banking expert, said that uh, the down payment money goes to the lawyers as well. So what sort of fees um, and how is that all framed like on closing day or leading up to closing day? What what money does the does the buyer have to have ready for, for you guys to close the deal? Yeah, and, and on that note, um, with regard to the down payment uh, and let's make reference to the deposit and whether or not like the deposit that they paid in advance at the time of the uh, the acceptance of the agreement is that part of the down payment as well? If you can just sort of touch on that as well. Right. So let's just use an example of say you're buying a $300,000 home and the bank is going to advance uh, 80% of that. Um, and so at the end of the day, you've got 20% left owing on, of that 300000 that you have to come up with. And that money you're going to bring in to me or any lawyer that you're using. Um, to fund the purchase. And that would include the the money that would have been paid as the deposit. So if you've already paid the deposit, um, that's gonna be credited in your favor on closing so that you don't have to come up with that money again. Um, it's coming off of the purchase price effectively. And so in terms of closing costs, when people talk about that, in addition to the, the actual purchase price for the home, you're going to be factoring in things like land transfer tax, unless you're a first time home buyer, in which case you would qualify for a credit of up to $4,000. So depending on the purchase price, land transfer tax, um, you know, you can pretty much just Google online to figure out what your land transfer mm -hmm. tax is or talk to your lawyer or, or realtor ahead of time to figure that out. Um, you have that, you have your title insurance if, if it's required in your transaction. You're going to have your legal costs and your search costs, registration costs. So in terms of legal costs, every lawyer is going to be a little bit different, but most of the lawyers in this area, uh, in, in the Goddard area anyways, tend to charge fairly similar rates. Uh, for example, I charge $950 for a typical purchase. On top of that, you'll have HST on the legal fees. The service, yeah. And then you'll have, um, basically your search costs, registration costs, those kinds of things. So the government charges approximately $77 to register a deed, $77 to register a mortgage. Uh, the municipality charges around $50 to get a tax certificate. So all of those things kind of add up and we tell people just for budgeting purpose, you know, somewhere in and around the six to $700 range is a nice safe number to budget. Um, depending on what's on title and how many documents we have to pull from the government will dictate what that cost is. But if you're trying to budget, you know, six or $700 should cover those kinds of costs. So, um, I think, you know, I've, people talk about, well, what's the total cost going to be? And, you know, generally speaking, if you're in the 1500 to $2,000 range, 
all said and done, plus your land transfer tax. Okay. okay. Um, so, so that so would be your title insurance, your legal fees, your disbursements, your searches. Yeah, the searches. Yeah, for the most part, that's HST, pretty that's safe yep, number. Yep. You know, you know, on the high side, if you're getting the title insurance, if it's not required, you'd be on the lower yeah. side. Okay. But again, it's going to vary from law office to law office. So and from property to property. And property to property. So it's always a good idea to you know, t- call the lawyer that you're interested in using, have a chat with him or her. And most lawyers are happy to give, you know, an idea of what it's going to cost, depending on what's going to be involved. So yeah. like choosing a lawyer is kind of like choosing a realtor. You, know? yeah. you, you, you can go out, you can, you can meet them, you can call them, you can uh, feel who you feel, see who you feel comfortable with, uh, because it's obviously really important stuff that you guys are doing on someone's behalf and you want to have a trust relationship with that person. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so yeah, I. Any other notes? Hey man, I appreciate you coming in. This has been another episode of Real Talk, and this is Tyler Frook. This is Jeff Bauer, and Kathy Dawson is not with us today. We uh, see you on the next one. 